0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Now, there are a number of ways to outline the Sermon on the Mount. The way I've chosen to do it is to take the 10 topics Jesus discusses and organize the message that way. And that's why I'm calling 18 Minutes with Jesus Straight Talk from the Savior about the things that matter
1: Most Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is perhaps the most famous message ever preached, but some Christians wonder if Jesus' counterintuitive teaching is really applicable to life in the 21st century. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress explains why the Sermon on the Mount ought to radically impact the way we live each day. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. What
0: you're about to hear today is the opening message in my brand new teaching series about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're calling this series, 18 Minutes with Jesus. It's safe to say that people are woefully familiar with this brief sermon, but at the same time, very few people have actually applied the lessons Jesus taught. It doesn't have to be that way. This isn't a complicated sermon from Jesus. Even so, it's profoundly life-changing. And if you follow along with me through this month, I can prove to you that what Jesus said in his now-famous sermon will literally transform your life. Now, along with this brand-new teaching series, I've been working behind the scenes on a brand-new book by the same title and it's ready right now. My new book is called 18 Minutes with Jesus, straight talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. In my book, I'll help you understand 10 profound lessons from Jesus about the things that matter most. Without a doubt, these are universal issues, and they are timeless. You're invited to request a copy of my brand new book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. It comes with my thanks. In fact, it'll arrive at your home along with a deck of 10 encouragement cards based on the Sermon on the Mount. Each one provides a reminder of God's lesson and how it applies to your life. We'll say more about these exclusive resources later in the program. But right now, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I titled this first message in the teaching series, 18 Minutes with Jesus. A few months ago, I began thinking, if Jesus came back to earth and he were invited to give a TED Talk, what would he say? And the answer became very clear to me. He would give the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' TED Talk, perhaps the first in history. The reason I say that is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount met the criteria required for a TED Talk. First of all, a TED Talk has to be short. It can't be more than 18 minutes. Well, you can read the Sermon on the Mount in 18 minutes. Now, how are we to interpret the Sermon on the Mount? Now, I'm going to make a confession here. Many of you Probably already realized this. And that is, in 40 plus years of preaching, I have never done a series on the Sermon on the Mount. You know why that is? For longer than I care to admit to, I felt like this sermon was irrelevant to life today. I didn't think it had any relationship to life right now. You say, how could you even think that, Pastor? I'll share that with you in just a moment. There are a lot of people who think that. There are a lot of theologians who think that, but they're wrong. In fact, there are three wrong ways to interpret the Sermon on the Mount. One way is to look at this sermon as a list of requirements to enter into heaven, that's the most simplistic reading. Jesus is giving us a checklist of what we have to do to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You find the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, used throughout this series in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's just saying, do this, 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 and this, and you'll enter into heaven. But even a casual reading of the Sermon on the Mount makes you realize if that's the case, he's asking us to do the impossible. I mean, we have this idea that the Old Testament, oh, that's really hard to live by, but the New Testament is easy because it's grace. It's just the opposite. Jesus' standard here is harder than any standard found in the Old Testament. For example, in the Old Testament, it says, don't murder another person and don't sleep with somebody's wife. Now, if you check that off, you're okay, right? Jesus is going to say in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not enough to murder somebody, Don't hate them. Don't even be angry with them. It's not enough to sleep with the wrong person. Don't even think about it. Don't even lust after that person. That is a much harder standard to keep. And if Jesus is giving us an impossible list of requirements for a non-Christian to keep in order to enter into heaven... Jesus is no better than the Pharisees that he talked about in Matthew 23, 4, and 13. He said, the Pharisees, they tie heavy loads on the backs of men so that they are incapable of entering in to the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not a list of requirements to enter into heaven. Some people, secondly, wrongly interpret this as a roadmap for social justice, a roadmap for social justice. Brief history lesson here at the beginning of the 20th century. There were many people who preached what we now call the social gospel. And these Christians and non-Christians really too, believed that the Sermon on the Mount was a roadmap for social reform and that if society would simply conform itself to the ethical teachings of Jesus, we would have a better world. And those who were Christians who embraced that Developed what we know in eschatology, the study of end times as the post millennial viewpoint. The idea was that we can bring God's kingdom now to the world by following the teachings of Jesus. And the world is going to get better and better the more we follow Christ. And finally, it will get so good that Jesus in heaven will say, I just have to come back to earth. It's such a wonderful place to be. And he will establish his millennium after we have basically built the kingdom of God. That's the post-millennial viewpoint. You kind of laugh when I say that. But many people believe that. But that was the first of the 20th century After a few decades, two world wars, mass genocides, recessions, and a number of other social maladies, people realized the world was not getting better and better. They realized we're not going to bring in the kingdom of God. And so we have adopted the premillennial viewpoint. That is that Jesus Christ has to come before the kingdom of God comes on earth. Only he can set up the kingdom of God. And so, some people, uh, many people have given up on the post-millennial idea, but there's a new iteration of it that has appeared in recent days called the social justice movement. And you find that among many Christians. They believe that it is the primary duty of the church to institute the kingdom of God on earth and to rid the world of every injustice that we can. That is really what the so-called Great Commission is all about. Now, let me be very clear. As Christians, we should speak out against injustice. We should speak out against racism or the murder of the unborn through abortion. But we need to keep in mind the primary assignment that God gave us in the Great Commission is not to reform this present world. It is to prepare people for the next world by introducing them to faith in Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the church. That's why this is a sincere but a sincerely misguided effort to simply view the uh, Sermon on the Mount as a roadmap to social justice. And that leads to a third wrong interpretation and that is people who see this as a constitution for the future kingdom. In reaction to the social gospel movement of the early 20th century, there was another diametrically opposed viewpoint, and the one, by the way, I learned in seminary, that said the Sermon on the Mount has nothing to do with today. It is all about the constitution for the future kingdom when Jesus sets up his millennial kingdom on earth. There is no way we can live by the Sermon on the Mount today. Uh, One theologian said, trying to apply Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount to today is like planting a flower in stony ground or in a withering environment where there is no rain or moisture. The plant will die. It can't survive in that kind of environment. And this theologian said, when you try to live by Jesus rules here in today's world, it just doesn't work. Is that true? Is that true? The fact is we can't live by the Sermon on the Mount in our own strength. But the fact is God has given us everything we need through the Holy Spirit of God to live out Jesus' commands in his strength. You know, I grew up, in my seminary experience, hearing this idea that the Sermon on the Mount had no application for today, and it was all about the thousand-year reign of Christ. But as I started reading it, it started to puzzle me. The Bible says if somebody slaps us on the cheek, we're to turn the other cheek. Well, are we going to go around slapping people in the millennial kingdom I mean, Satan's been bound. Evil has been done away with. Who's going to do the slapping in the millennial kingdom? It says we're supposed to pray for our enemies. In the millennial kingdom, who's going to be our enemy? Evil, again, has been bound for a thousand years. It says pray for those who persecute you in your Christian faith. What kind of persecutions are going to be for Christians during the millennial kingdom? It makes no sense to say this is something future. No, I believe that the Sermon on the Mount is a guide for living in the world today. That is the only correct interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount. It is not for tomorrow, it's for today. The late expositor, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, if you regard any part of this sermon as impossible to follow then your interpretation and your understanding is wrong. And again, it's impossible for the non-Christian to live by these standards. That's admitted. But 2 Peter 1.3, God has granted to us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, you and I have the ability to live the Sermon on the Mount now and to enjoy the blessings of doing so. Now, there are a number of ways to outline the Sermon on the Mount. The way I've chosen to do it is to take the 10 topics Jesus discusses and organize the message that way. And that's why I'm calling 18 Minutes with Jesus Straight Talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. Now, I'm going to give you a sneak preview of coming attractions in this sermon series. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, get your pen and your outline ready. Let's look at it. Next time, we're going to look at Jesus' straight talk about your happiness. Does Jesus want you to be happy? How many of you think Jesus wants you to be happy? How many of you think he wants you to be miserable? We're going to talk about what Jesus says about happiness. Yes, Jesus wants you to be happy as long as you define happiness correctly. Notice how he begins the sermon in verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. That word blessed is the Greek word makarios. It means happy. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. We'll discover what that means. And then beginning in verse 13, Jesus gives us some straight talk about your faith. He says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What does it mean to be salt and light in this decaying and darkening world? We'll look at that in the uh, second message. Thirdly, in verse 21, straight talk about your relationships Matthew 5, 21, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. There's more than one way to murder a person and we'll discover uh, what is at the root of all murder and that's hatred and anger and how Jesus directs us to deal with both. Fourth, straight talk about your sex life. Now that I have your attention, let's look <laughs> at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Adultery and doesn't begin in the bedroom. It begins in the mind. And we'll see how to resist those thoughts that lead to the destruction of our relationships and our own lives. Beginning in verse 38, Jesus offers some straight talk about your adversaries. Don't get mad, get even is the watchword of our age. And it's a lot easier to do in the age of social media to exact revenge on other people. But notice what Jesus said in verse 43 of Matthew 5. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How do you pull that off? That's what we'll discover in that message. And then, and when we get to chapter 6, straight talk about your worship. There's a change in uh, direction in the Sermon on the Mount. Instead of talking about our... um, Relationships with others ought to be transformed. Jesus turns now to our relationship with God. He begins by talking about our worship, public worship. Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then beginning with verse 5 of Matthew 6, straight talk about your prayer life. Prayer is the most fundamental but also the most difficult practice in the Christian life. And in this familiar passage, Jesus is going to give us a model, not a mantra, but a model for how to pray in such a way as to make sure God hears your prayers. And then, verses 19 to 34, straight talk about your money. Wealth, or the lack of it, wealth and worry go hand in hand with one another just like vanilla ice cream and chocolate sauce. It's hard to separate the two. And we're going to see what Jesus has to say about wealth or the lack of wealth can cause anxiety in our life and what the remedy for that is. Matthew 6, 19 and 20, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the first 12 verses of Matthew 7, Jesus offers straight talk about your needs. We all have needs, don't we? Most of our deepest needs can't be fulfilled by other people or even ourselves. We have to depend on God. And we'll discover how to depend on God for our needs in that message. And then finally, straight talk about your eternal destiny Matthew 7, verses 13 to 27. The greatest fear people have is about the future. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? How can I make sure that I end up in heaven when I die? Jesus tells us precisely the answer to that question. Now, before you fold up your papers and put them away, Jesus isn't quite finished. Jesus closed his Sermon on the Mount. With a great illustration. It's an illustration that left his crowd speechless. And it's one I want to close today by looking at because it's an illustration that explains why we are studying the Sermon on the Mount right now and why it's so applicable to where you are probably in your life right now. Jesus closed his sermon with these words. Matthew 7, 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, not just hears and understands, but acts on them. The person who does that may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You know, we are coming out of a 100-year event, a global pandemic. There is not one person on this planet whose life has not been impacted directly or indirectly by this pandemic. And this pandemic, produces a decision point that sociologists are talking about. After the pandemic, how are we going to live our lives? Are we going to keep building the same kind of life like you build a house? Are we going to keep building the same life we were building before the pandemic hit? Or do we want to build a different kind of life, a different house, so to speak? Sociologists are saying that people are rethinking every major area of their life right now. They're rethinking their work life. Do I want to continue in the same job I was in? Do I want to do something different? Do I want to retire? They're rethinking their relationships. If they're single, some are starting to put a greater premium on getting married. Others who are married are thinking about becoming single. Or at least going through life with a different mate. Some people are rethinking their whole idea of money and retirement. They've been setting aside money for the future. The future this pandemic has made them realize there may not be a future. Maybe I ought to splurge right now, take that trip, buy that possession. What kind of life are you going to build? We're all building some kind of life. Hear what Jesus says. The person who hears his word and acts upon those words is like the person who builds his house on a rock. When you build your life on the teaching of Jesus Christ found on the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't exempt you from storms. People who follow Jesus still experience pandemics. They experience loss. They experience the death of a loved one, but their lives don't collapse when they do. Their faith remains strong because it's built on the rock. Those who hear Christ's words but decide, that's not for me, doesn't apply, doesn't work. They're like the person who builds their house, their life on the sand. And when the storm comes, and it will come, It may not destroy their life immediately, but it will so eventually. I hope you'll plan to be here as we look at Jesus' revolutionary teaching about 10 key issues in life, how to apply them, and how to build a life that is truly storm-proof. All right, we have set the stage for what promises to be among the most important topics ever addressed on Pathway to Victory. I've called this brand new teaching series, 18 Minutes with Jesus, Straight Talk from the Savior about the things that matter most. As I mentioned earlier, I've written a brand new hardcover book by the same title. It features 10 timeless lessons from Jesus and how to apply His wisdom to our life today. Jesus taught us valuable lessons on the importance of living in community with other Christians, how to stretch ourselves in matters of faith. He even taught us surprising ways to attain what our hearts really long for. Please reach out today and request your copy of my new book, 18 Minutes with Jesus. A copy is yours right now when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. In fact, When you respond today, I'm going to include a stack of 10 convenient encouragement cards from this series. Each one points out a simple but profound lesson from Jesus as a visual reminder to guide your decisions. In closing, I want to thank you for your generous support of Pathway to Victory. These are faith-building days because we are reaching out with new ministries that will impact generations to come. I'm referring to our new ministry to Ukrainian listeners, Jewish listeners, and those in Russia as well. In each case, we are translating Pathway to Victory into their heart language, giving them an opportunity to hear the life-changing message of Jesus. And we couldn't take these steps of faith
1: without your generosity. David? Thanks, Dr. Jefferson. Today, when you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory— you're invited to request a copy of the brand-new book from Dr. Jeffress called 18 Minutes with Jesus. Here's our toll-free number, 866-999-2965, or visit online at ptv.org. Now, when you give an especially generous gift of $100 or more, we'll also include the complete 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series on audio and video discs, plus the companion study guide, Call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could send your request by mail if you'd like, P.O. Box two twenty three six zero nine Dallas, Texas, 75222. One more time, that's P.O. Box two twenty three six zero nine Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Do you think Jesus really cares about your happiness? Or is the pursuit of happiness too self-indulgent? Join us for the message, Straight Talk About Your Happiness. That's Wednesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Join Dr. Robert Jeffress on an unforgettable trip to Israel. You've read about places like the Mount of Olives and the Plain of Megiddo. Isn't it time to see these remarkable sites for yourself? Join us on the Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel. To learn more, go to ptv.org.